Hey everybody, we at Podgave Rock and Roll Do You want to make it clear that we don't mean any offense by our comments, critiques, or opinions. We're not music critics, just buddies that use talking about music as an excuse to hang out. Also, our language is intended for adult ears. Enjoy! Cause I'm in the shit house Wish I played in a rock and roll band Somebody give me a dollar I went and uh, saw Dead & Co. last Saturday night. It was pretty great at Dodger Stadium. I'd never seen a show there, which was very interesting. How slow was it? <laughs> the music? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was not slow, man. I'll tell you what. Um, they're a bunch of old guys, but uh, Mayer injects some much-needed youth into the Grateful Dead. Um, and he brings it. Oh, my God. He was... Uh, he does. He does. He... Uh, <laughs> Weirdly, he was wearing headphones the whole time. I don't know if he just needed more mayor in his mix. <laughs> um, but yeah, like one ear off and sometimes both ears on. He had that really? on this like black sweatshirt with cut off sleeves and a big pink Grateful Dead bear head and like cargo pants. He was just bouncing, noodling just the whole time, just fucking getting crazy. <laughs> mayor so bobblehead. He, he looked like he could have been in the parking lot, basically. They, they yeah, just yeah, grabbed no, him out of the parking lot yeah, on the way in. He probably he probably made a pit stop. <laughs> right out of shakedown. Um, but the whole experience was great. It's great to just, yeah, there was a lot seen, the shakedown street. I saw DeAndre Jordan on shakedown street. That was pretty awesome. <laughs> I mean, no doubt. Like, it, it is still a great time. You know, I saw him a couple years ago, and at least two, three tour, three years ago, maybe. And it was one of the slowest shows, you know, <laughs> like well, just tempo wise, like all these songs that you're used to hearing, mm-hmm. you know, a little quicker for sure. So, Shakedown Street's like, bump, bump, bump. <laughs> Unfortunately, bump, no Shakedown. Bump, bump. But, um, <laughs> kind of. The end of the first, I didn't notice it was too slow. I think they were, they were, they were bringing their A game. You know, it was the first show of the tour, Dodger Stadium, ready to rock. And the first set was really good. It ended with Brown Eyed Women, Jack Straw, and Casey Jones. Nice oh, first sweet, set dude. closer. And then the highlight of the second set was um, China Rider. I know you, Ryder, is just kind of like, I know all of us have probably played that 300 times, jammed (laughs) it. I mean, every every version being 15 minutes long. And they did it too. They were playing it and they had sang the chorus and the harmony and slowed it down. And then Mayor was like, let's get back into it. We're going back for more. I was like, no, don't do it. And then he fucking totally flipped me and like, that was the best jam. Because it sounded like Mayer was playing some serious blues rock underneath the jam. It sounded like he was playing a different song, but it worked. Huh. You know what I mean? He was really That's like, cool. he was found some kind of weird pocket in there. Mayer almost is too good sometimes. I'm like, dude, slow down, Casey. <laughs> <laughs> now, were all the old members wearing like oversized Dodger jerseys? <laughs> no. <laughs> Along with Bob Weir's like short hanging shorts. off of him. <laughs> Mickey Hart looked like he had somewhere to be. I don't know if he wanted to be there. <laughs> Bob Weir's jersey like goes over his short shorts. He, it doesn't look like he's wearing shorts at all. <laughs> it's like it's like they told Mickey they were like, "We're not paying you until after the show." He's like, "Fine." <laughs> um, well, Bob had his classic capri pants on. Interesting. Okay. Well, enough about Bob, and let, let's talk about Jody for a second. Jody, this is your. Last week, for now, on Pod Give Rock and Roll to You, it's been a 
been a pleasure having you here. But um, that's been a great we, time. Yeah, thank you. So I like to ask our guests on their last episode what. Obviously, we know you play instruments because you've you've worked on some of the covers so far. So what what do you when did you start playing? What did you start playing? What can you play? Go. Uh, I started playing guitar when I was 13, and now I'm 43, so it's been 30 years of nice. nonstop, you know, turning stones over, learning how to play guitar. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I picked up the mandolin, I guess probably around 2003 okay. or so. And, you know, I think first it was like really being into that kind of john paul jones sound of man yeah. playing you know yeah and or like you know stuff you might hear in like you know rod stewart like maggie may and things like mm-hmm. that you know mm-hmm. and i mean I, at the time i listened to tony rice of course and you know because via jerry garcia and dave grisman of course and yeah. um so i was really into that then i picked up dobro after that probably around 2012 because I always loved playing electric, you know, slide guitar, being an All uh-huh. Brothers fan. So that came after that, and then you know the bluegrass bug hit, and then I later added banjo. So pretty, and then of course uh, upright bass and electric bass too. So, so you've just been going back in time. I have <laughs> in, in like, three decades. You're like, all right, I'm starting with rock. And I'm just going to move all the way back to old Appalachian music. Mm-hmm. Like that's where you're going to end harp up. Harp here soon. Pretty yeah. much. <laughs> He, no, he's gonna be uh, composing classical. <laughs> but you know, it's funny. It's because uh, it did. It started off like pure rock and roll and and blues. Yeah. And then you know, I uh, obviously playing in a band with Neil, we did all that kind of good oh, old yeah. blues rock, doing everything from Mo, Mo Digley rock and blues. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. That led to playing funk. Played in a funk band for like seven or eight years being a funk guitar player of course you did yeah, i did i did the album art for one of your albums and uh I, yeah you did mm-hmm. shit soul i forgot about that. yeah that's right what, what album is that is that available on spotify uh, yeah the band is called soul um and uh sol and ah, like the beer like the mexican beer you know that's a cool story because like uh, the band Soul Live, right? You know, yep, I remember them. I'm huge mm-hmm. fan of, and there was one album called No Place Like Soul, and they had a vocalist on it. This guy named Toussaint Liberator, and uh, I remember at the time the funk band I was playing in in Frederick, Maryland, the drummer and I were like, man, kept going through singers. We we're like, man, if we could get a singer like that guy. And yeah. Next thing you know, like about two years later. He's the lead singer of our band. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> on that on that album. And, yeah. Uh, ah. Yeah, yeah. It's, What's it's, the name of the album? I think it was might have just been self titled Soul. Actually. Um, ah. Yeah. It's been self titled so debut. Uh, yeah, you know the band was called Dime Store for a while, and then it changed names. So um, yeah. just look for right. Soul S O L. S O L. And now, are you playing with any bands currently? Yeah, I play in like a few different groupings. Two touring bands. I play with a band called the Plate Scrapers, which is like progressive bluegrass with like effects pedals. Nice. And uh, another band called the Jacobs Ferry Stragglers, which is more like bluegrass mixed with old time and rockabilly swing. Okay. And um, dig it. And then I have my own uh, my little side band called. The Alterations, which is okay. a, a trio. I play guitar, and there's a fiddle player and an upright player. And then 
sometimes that band plays with uh, Joe Craven. Uh, Excellent. Doing little side gigs with Joe, the guy who used to play with Jerry and Dave. So. Very cool. And you can find you at, at Jody Moser Music, is that right? Yep, or my website, jodymoser.com. Yeah, yeah. So everybody go check that out because Jody is a super talented musician. Now, are are you a songwriter as well? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I uh, I did my own solo record. Came out uh, last December. You know, it's a bluegrass infused record, and I play all the instruments except for the fiddle because I don't know how they do that shit. <laughs> <laughs> now, question for you: What is the name of the first song on your solo record? Uh, the the first song is called Syracuse Express. Nice. Ah, getting into the trains on there. Well, yeah. on that note, um, you were listening to Pod Gave Rock and Roll to You, and this week we were talking about first songs on debut albums because this week we were talking about Good Times, Bad Times, which is Led Zeppelin's first song on their self-titled debut album from 1969. Written by Jimmy Page, John Paul Jones, and John Bonham. Robert Plant was added later due to contractual obligations at the time. And produced by Jimmy Page and released on Atlantic. In, in my opinion, you are, you know, listening to a song and that changed rock music period i mean Agreed. come on it, it, you're, you're like exiting the psychedelic era of the 60s you know things like the Yardbirds and uh cream and you kind of get into this yeah idea of that sound but then you add john bonham to it mm-hmm. and which is arguably the you know the greatest rock drummer that ever lived and then the kind of the funkiness of John Paul Jones on the bass and uh, obviously, you know, just the ex- experience in the studio that guys like him and, and Jimmy Page br- bring to the table. And you create this incredible new sound of like psychedelia meets the blues. From then, it, 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 it changed everything, in my opinion. Without this album and this song leading the way, you don't have a lot of bands you, know, you can go down a list through like the decade <laughs> yeah. of how many bands say that led zeppelin was just one of their biggest influences so yeah it's such a badass riff come on just that power chord riff and the little arpeggiated mm-hmm. uh, d chord right after it is uh, it, i've always thought it was just one of the coolest guitar riffs <laughs> ever you know and <laughs> one of the most satisfying things to play it you is know? it is fun it, to play it is and especially the time you know you're at the end of the 60s going into the 70s man what a time to uh to create such a sound i totally agree with you i mean i wrote down like is this the beginning of classic rock and i think that's not even enough that's not even a powerful enough statement just because it does have all those things it really filtered out all the rock music and just put some power behind it the way they did it, I can't think of anyone that does it that well. The songs are so powerful, so bluesy, but still have like this mysterious quality. It's it's pretty much straight ahead blues, but with a lot of creativity. And well, you take you take the shuffle out and you you put in Bonham's just explosive like yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, and just uh, the music is so powerful. I think the lyrics are brilliantly vague and universal. Like, there's no real details. It's just like, mean woman, I'm sad, but at the same time, I don't really give a shit. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Youthful ambivalence. The, yep. the, the title is awesome. It's very yin and yang, very just fucking good times. It's everything. Good times, bad times. I've seen it all. And it's rock and roll's yin and yang, right? Yeah, and just the sound. The sound cannot be emulated. People have tried. We recently have seen that with, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, I forget their name even. But um, <laughs> The kids from Michigan. That's, that's what we'll call them. The kids from Michigan. And I do love how, uh, and this is with most Zeppelin songs, like Plant, it's, he's, it doesn't matter what the hell he's saying. Like he's basically another guitar, his voice. We could be just, I mean, you could put any lyrics in there. Yeah. The first time I got the let out was with BBC Sessions, and then I got Houses of the Holy, and then Three. So I'm not sure when I first heard this particular song. Probably on Z106, classic rock radio of the de- in the Delta. Shout out. <laughs> I don't think they exist anymore. But uh, anyway, let's, let's just say this. It's not my favorite Zeppelin tune. I'm not a guitar player, so I probably do not appreciate it as much as you guys do. I tend to like the one where Plant shines. I I understand what you're saying, Neil, but he's not really asked to do much. This is all about the other three guys, in my opinion. Sure. Just really showing, like, Mm -hmm. this is what we're going to be doing. And then, you know, the second side, you know, babe, I'm going to leave you. They're like, all right, now we got this guy, too. It's almost like, you know, he's almost like teasing what's going to come. And they're just kind of throwing it all out there. Oh, it's great. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Which is also one of my other favorite Zeppelin songs to to play as (laughs) well. I, I love that song, but you know, it's just such a fun song with the highest highs. I think the guitar solo and the rhythm section is what you go back to this song for. It's just good, fun rock and roll from one of the greatest bands to play rock and roll so i mean like what else can you ask for and, and it's their introduction to the world so it's, for real it's, it's impressive yeah My and it, it's very fun but just still so genius i don't know anyone who could say like i don't really like this honestly <sighs> they never do anything easy or cheesy or no. pretty and it's always so creative too even how they go about recording it you know just because they were so experienced in the studio they well i mean he, he produced it yeah, well, I mean, you know, him and, and John Paul were studio cats for most of the decade before, you know, or at least for the last five years before they even got into recording this song. Yeah, they- yeah and what's crazy is Glenn Johns was the engineer because they were buddies growing up, and Glenn Johns, I mean, his career, even his son is still just kicking and, and putting out great records. So, I mean, he, he, you know, it was a combination of good people, and the way he approached it, I'm assuming from his time as a studio musician— he had a what Wikipedia calls a distance makes depth approach, which was I guess not used that much. Right. So basically, he used the nat- the according to Wikipedia, he uses the natural room ambience to enhance the reverb and recording texture on the record. Mm-hmm. So I guess most producers would place microphones j- right in front of the amps and the drums, so they're just kind of getting that sound in the mic. Yep. And he would kind of place another one like 20 feet from the amp mm-hmm. so he wanted there to be a balance and also to feel like you're, you're, the sound is extending and you can yeah. hear that in, in his guitar I think the other thing it does especially in this song which I never really noticed before because 
I'm listening to it because, you know, we got to do the cover. And it sounds like there's a lot of harmonies on it. But from from reading about this, it sounds like the plant's vocals just bleed into the other tracks. So it it almost sounds like he's doubled, but but it's not. It's just him singing that Mm, one. Right. And bleeding in. There are parts where there's harmonies. Yeah, yeah. Sure. But if you listen to the song close, there there are some where it's just like you can just faintly hear a second track of him that I don't think is a harmony, and I do think it, it's... it really adds to the song. But unless you really listen, you don't really hear the second plant there. You can like at the end of each verse, but that's about it. Yeah, I know what you mean. But yeah, yeah especially on headphones, you can hear him pretty well. Uh, I think he was playing a Telecaster into hmm. a, a Leslie speaker you know kind of taking one from Hendrick's book the fact that that is he got that sound just analog with a spinning speaker in mm-hmm. a room probably in a couple takes is like fuck <laughs> <laughs> one thing I noticed just about that the recording um, I was listening to it the other night and I, I was like, I bet this guitar doesn't have very much reverb on it at all. But the way that it was recorded, it's just all yes. natural room reverb. Yep. And then the amp is dry, so you still get that bite, which is yep. a nice technique. Nice work, boys. And it's a technique that I think a lot of people still use. At even Like, I don't know, you know, I've recorded a lot in smaller home studios where, you know, you're recording analog still, but, you know, you, you, you would record in the bathroom you know, or something, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, and to get that natural reverb from the bathroom. You know? Well, it's kind, of, it's kind of like, you know, we we're talking about Lieber and Stoller going in last week with Stand By Me and just like applying all that they know to it. And this is like him. What was this? Oh, we talked about Crimson and Clover a while back where Tommy James basically produced that album. And so it's almost like the musician it takes everything he's learned and he's like, I'm going to throw all of this. I'm going to apply some new techniques and I know exactly how I want me to sound Mm -hmm. and this band that I created to sound. And I don't give a fuck about anybody else at this point. So, you know, you can kind of tell he's going in because I I do think like, listen, I listened to the album today. I do think he got a lot better, obviously as, as the albums went along. Um, I, I do think you can tell he's playing around in certain certain phases of this like if you listen in a good set of headphones like even in this song the guitar is kind of yeah you can hear flying swir- left to you can hear that swirl <laughs> and you know maybe he wanted that but i i think at points it's get, he's getting a little too cute and i think he dialed that back on, on later albums hmm, i think they, they probably learned more tricks i think for what this was their first track first album it's hard to knock it for anything or say something else is better because it is so raw it's it has still has that youthful energy here here we are you telling me i can't knock zeppelin huh <laughs> is that what you're saying neil don't dare <laughs> well and you know what the, uh, uh, the another great aspect of this tune is it's not even three minutes yeah mm-hmm. you know it, they they pack all that punch into like two minutes and 47 seconds man from the bow bow I don't know what, if anything, had kind of done that, like a little tease. Mm-hmm. Then, like, I don't know what if he's just fucking. Oh, yeah, like, a sec- sounds like a cowbell I almost. Know, but. A second tease, you know? Yeah, then- <laughs> a second tease. I love that. And- <laughs> I love that. Um, kind of, that's how you're supposed to use that power E chord. You know what I mean? They they really used it right. I love how it starts with all those big E hits and then drops down for the to the D for when he starts singing. So it kind of yeah. like there's a, an immediate dynamic and kind of tonal shift 
which is sweet. Yeah. Well, speaking of tonal shift, and just just to dive into the songwriting real quick, there's a key change there, right? When he goes into the 16, felon, because when they go back to the good times, yes, it's it's in a different key. Yep, it is. So he goes down to F sharp. Mm. For, for so basically, he's going up a whole step. And then when he goes to the second chorus, it's up a whole step from the first chorus. Hmm. And then they go back. And then they go back because, you know, the, the C sharp that they, you know, because the first chorus is, uh, you know, starts on the A and then ends on the B. And then yeah. the, the next chorus starts on the B and ends on the C sharp. But, you know, that C sharp is the six of E. So, you know, it mm-hmm. has a resolving quality back to that chord. So... Yeah, so because for me the the melody itself is not anything special. I mean, it's probably the least important part of the song, in my opinion. I, no, it, I can agree with that. I, yeah. They they changed they changed some things here and there, and there's different parts to the song. But it's almost like they're the different parts are because he wanted to do what you just said. He wanted to like go here and then go here and then come back here, and he's just like, well, you know, plant's gonna sound good singing anything, so mm-hmm. whatever. You know, good times, sure. bad times, sounds great. Uh, Neil, you said, you know, the lyric are, is brilliantly vague, and I, I, I'll give you that, but the melody and the lyric don't matter at all in this song to me, other than the good times, bad times. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, that's all you really remember. Like, until this week, I, I had no idea what he was talking about. Just good times, <laughs> bad times, sounds good. Do, do you know now what he was talking about? Yeah, yeah I know now. Yeah, I mean, I can read. I can read. <laughs> well, and, and we can all we can all relate at least to it, and then it does have at least that anthemic quality of the good times, bad times part, you know, that you do remember. Because they get really bluesy in the rest of this album. Like, I mean, there's. Yep. This is like the most fun they're having, except for they have a little kind of like, I don't even want to call it a bluegrass, the Black Mountain thing that they do, which is kind of like almost a weird like little bluegrassy thing that they do in it the middle. It is. It's like an Irishy, or I think it's uh, some sort of Irish uh, rendition okay. of a tune or something that Jimmy knew. But yeah, yeah you're, and then, you're right. And there's a lot of blues on it. You know, Actually, there's a lot of tunes that they actually took credit for that they oh, yeah. they didn't write you know <laughs> oh, i mean yeah. like yeah well willie uh, dixon willie dixon, dixon had to come out and be like yo yeah. but this is the song okay this is us writing this is what we're gonna sound like once we kind of it, it's almost like we don't have enough songs yet but i know this band is so good i just want an album to come out let's just take some of these old blues songs and like add our own spin to yeah, it not, with not the songs we've name, written just zeppelin one <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, well, they were what the the new Yardbirds is what yeah. what they were before that because yeah. it, it all happened so quick. You well, know, they the saved Yardbirds. all the creativity for the music. <laughs> well, what a Rolling Stones uh, review of the album was um, uh, they have they don't say anything that the Yardbird that Jeff Beck group didn't say three months ago. <laughs> that was the that was a Rolling Stone. <laughs> yeah, actually, I found I think I found that uh, that review, and yeah, there was a lot of them back then that yeah they didn't really give the album a good review, you know. Yeah, and, Zeppelin didn't talk to him for years after that. They were just like, "Fuck you guys, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna be fine." Word of mouth, we're gonna kick ass live, and people are gonna come see us. Which I don't know. I listened to a couple versions. Like they didn't play this live much, but they when didn't. they did, does it sound great? Yeah, I could, I could, I could hear why. I was surprised when I read that. I mean, it, 
I guess it's pretty difficult, but it feels like a real rocker. It feels like you'd want to go ahead and do a couple rehearsals and get it down. John Paul Jones said it was the hardest bass line he's he's had to write. Yeah, I, so, I think, yeah, I believe that. So, all right, well, let's just get into the band real quick. So we got, for those who don't know, Led Zeppelin is made up of Robert Plant on the vocals, Jimmy Page on the guitars, John Paul Jones on bass, organ, backing vocals, and, and John Bonham on uh, drums. Mm-hmm. Now, let's just start with Plant, because I think that'll be the quickest. Is You know, he sounds good, but like I said earlier, I, I, he's just not asked to do much here until the end, really. Sure, sure. Yeah. I don't know. The lyrical quality isn't really that rich, but we can all relate, and he does his job that Robert Plant is known to do, and which is singing pretty damn high. <laughs> that first line, man. In the day. I mean, he just, he's so up there. And then it just get good time. I mean, just, Jesus, dude. Um, I hate I hate trying to sing songs where singers singers do that, but I will. Yeah, well. quite a different quite a range difference. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think it's super important. Like I said, it's another instrument. It, it adds a lot. The melody's not too complex, but he's doing some cool stuff. And my favorite parts are just like the, well, the very end where he's like, we ain't never gonna part. <laughs> and then in the middle when he's like, I lost another friend. Oh. <laughs> well, the, the, the crazy thing oh. about his voice, I think that stands out, is that whenever you hear somebody trying to sing like him, it sounds cheesy because you're kind of screaming over this kind of bluesy, hard bluesy rock. And if you don't have the, there's almost a nasal quality to his voice that works mm-hmm. to his advantage with how high he can go. Mm-hmm. And it, it doesn't take away at all from his voice, but there's it's just such a specific thing to how he can, yeah, ride the tiger basically, <laughs> as fucking into these like unholy whales or holy whales, however you want yeah, to think about it. Yeah, I was gonna say surf the whale. <laughs> yeah, whereas there's like some a lot of the blues stuff that they like do. There's a lot of there's a lot of darkness to that old blues that they're doing. There's a lot of like hurt and pain and stuff. Whereas there's just a lot of sexiness in what he's doing. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. <laughs> he mm-hmm. just takes all that hurt and pain. And he's just like. Oh baby, I'm gonna leave you. Yeah, yeah. And then the the woman who's listening to it is like, oh please don't leave me, don't. <laughs> you know, there's danger there, but there's more sexiness than pain. I think is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and he just has the range and commitment. Like he ha- he can hit so many notes, and he's screaming has a, a great sense of just timing and melody. Because he, I mean, back to the blues, he's he's hitting blues intervals like pentatonic intervals when he's singing, and he is not afraid. No. Oh no. To, no, to no. try anything th- that he can, and he has the he has the capability of doing that. He takes chances. Another person taking chances, I guess we could say, is is his childhood friend John Bonham, who, like you said, Jody, just kind of comes out of nowhere. On this, on this record, and I, and I remember I'll, I'll say this before I hand it off to you. Reading Hammer of the Gods, Page went to Jeff Beck, and he was just like, "Dude, check out these two guys I found." And he played, I think, I think either "Can't Quit You" or "You Shook Me," because they did that in the Jeff Beck group. Yep. And he was just like, 
Fuck you, man. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. You found you found him. But he, he does. I mean, you can't not notice the drums at any point of the song. And they are so solid. I don't know. I, I'm a firm believer that, you know, a band is only as good as their drummer. And, dude, <laughs> with the, what he does with his feet alone is just crazy. Just those kick patterns that he's playing and... I don't know. I think you're hearing like I don't know. Obviously, you got Keith Moon, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, from the Who, but I don't know. There's just some something that's just like swinging with Bonham's playing, but still just like real heavy at the same time, like just explosive four on the floor kind of stuff. You can hear like his background, you know, and love of like rhythm and blues and stuff. But just this whole new, like, uh, almost like he found something that nobody mm-hmm. else had yeah. found yet, you know? And that's when I you, when I hear this song, especially, and, and so many other Zeppelin tunes, too, that's what I hear. I hear somebody who's, like, really just kind of stumbled upon just this whole new way of playing the drum kit. Would you say he anchored, like, he's basically anchoring the swing? Like, physically, it's just like... You're not going to want to dance and get all sweaty to this. You're going to stand in place and swing. You know, it's funny. I was reading a lot about how um, because of, like, their, you know, love of R&B and old blues tunes and him and just that, that pocket that him and John Paul could create, like, there would be a lot of people dancing at their shows. You know, whereas like, you know, at a Sabbath show or something that, you know, you just get a lot of people just kind of standing in place and, and headbanging, you know, kind of mm-hmm. thing. So you're saying it, it, it he he walked that tightrope of the anchor and swing yep. that as it moved on from them, it became more anchored and headbangy than just still being able to, to, to groove. Yeah, definitely a lot of that early blues stuff. You can feel that swing and danceability to it. Now you mentioned John Paul Jones. I I, I love like because usually like I, I don't pay attention or hear the bass um, in this song. It's it's impossible to miss. I, and I love how they let him kind of stand out and do some flourishes when they mm-hmm. when they stop. But basically, he's following the the riff, right? Yep. <clears throat> yep. The, the bass is the most melodic part of the song. I think that that mm-hmm. injects yep. melody into the song that nothing else in the song is really doing it it totally does well and when you so yeah he's playing the riff with him with jimmy and and then it goes to the f sharp and then (laughs) the funk just breaks loose like you feel (laughs) that that funk james clarify clarify for whoever's listening who doesn't know the chords what when do they go to the f sharp okay so you know you have the riff where it's like and then you go to the other part where it's like sixteen i fell in love yeah exactly and then just listen to his bass line where it's like and like it's basically kind of like a bass line from James Brown song almost you know it almost sounds like another Zeppelin song you're singing exactly yeah exactly with you know Okay, now, 
we've gotten that out of the way. I think, you know, this is kind of Paige coming out to the world as well, saying, all right, this is what I'm, this is what I put together, and this is what I'm going to bring you, and this is the fucking rock and roll I'm going to be playing. I think the guitars are the standout of the song for me. The riffs, the guitar solo, the little flourishes he does at the end as they're fading out. Uh, you guys are guitar players. Have at it. Dude. Pentatonic scale. <laughs> like, how much better can you use the pentatonic notes? Which, for you know those that don't know, pentatonic scale is a five-note scale, right? Mm-hmm. And it is used in 90% of rock and roll guitar lead playing. Mm-hmm. And he <laughs> uses it so masterfully and cleanly and... Uh, the 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 godfather of the sequential lick you know where you're playing like sets of five you know oh so that's that's the pentatonic like that's actually kind of everything that he's doing even like when he comes in going like that i call it the chuck berry lick the ding 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 you know that you kind of it reminds you of johnny be good almost a little bit you know he that's that's pentatonic uh Everything he's doing is living within that five note pentaton E minor pentaton. He's playing five scale. notes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With occasion, the entire time. With occasional like passing yeah. tones that might, you know, add a, a sixth or something. So but, Jody, yeah. what is your favorite guitar part in the song? I mean, aside from the riff, it's just that first solo that he it just smacks you in the face. <laughs> it really does. In the best way. There's such a onslaught of notes where he, he, he does these great over like just huge bends you know where he's mm-hmm. bending the string like a step and a half you know mm-hmm. like almost two steps in some spots you know and <laughs> yeah he's beating up on those strings he's beating them up just back to that first riff i one thing i realized it's so much more reserved than you'd think you know he's playing it very like technically perfect that mm-hmm. i think most people that try to play it are like Oh, tons of distortion, but but he's just it's just because it's he's also playing that under the first line. It's this really complicated lick, and it somehow they make it work where he's hitting all these notes under someone singing, and it's mm-hmm. not too much. Yep. Yeah. I mean, the solo is amazing, and does it? Do they just hang on the one? Just go for it, Jimmy, because I think it's just bomb, 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 bomb the whole time. It's just well, they do a little hit and pause before, right? There's like a beat. It's it actually goes, it actually does yeah, the it, top. It, yes, you're right. It hits that big hit. You know, it's like and then it comes in on the E. But it is it is doing that progression of like the E, the D, and the A. Yeah, basically yeah. Yeah, underneath. Yeah, one flat seven four baby. I think the riff is the only thing that I would never write or play or think to play. Like it's Jimmy Page did a lot of that <laughs> stuff where like you're like how it's pretty simple, but how did you why did you decide to play 12 notes under the first line of the song? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just the decisions yeah. are really uh, out of the box. They are. I, well, being a, a not a guitar player, I would say, you know, the most fun, of the, I mean, this, the second half of the solo, I really just, he, he shoots out of the cannon, and then he kind of comes back for more. Mm-hmm. Or like a, He's like, ooh, I want to do it again. I want to go again. But then I do love, I'm a sucker for that. Like, I know what it means to be alone. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and, and like all those little flourishes he's doing, mm-hmm. like to the call and response he's basically yeah. doing with Plant there at the end is is fantastic and just like a that is the perfect this is what's coming and then they fade out <laughs> and then it's just like babe I'm gonna leave you starts and it's like wait what what just happened to the happened to the good times <laughs> that is quite a segue of one song into the next for sure <laughs> well a, a fun fact on this is is first single ever as well they didn't really release singles but this in communication breakdown which you know, we mentioned earlier them playing it live. Uh, they really only played it as like an intro medley to Communication Breakdown. Right. Mm. Yeah. Until they reunited with Bonham's Kid on drums in 07 at the O2 Arena and opened the show with this. Well, that sounds like we're ready to vibe. So, so Jody, you get one more chance at uh, bringing us into the vibe time portion of this podcast. So we're going to cue the music in three, two, one... <laughs> now that's that's the sound of someone who knows how to what it feels to be alone uh, uh, um, <laughs> or <laughs> what it means to be alone yeah, it's a vibrator uh, in front of a fan <laughs> oh uh, jody it's it's your song when do you want to hear it i want to hear it in the garage coming out of <laughs> big ass pa speakers with my yeah. best buds playing it amps turn to 11 mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. yeah that's where that's where i want to hear it you, you want in the garage mo digley reunion <laughs> good times bad times Hell yeah. Open, opening opening salvo shout out alec in san diego <laughs> <laughs> yeah buddy or or uh, any or any time in the car <laughs> nice neil um it's a daytime song um, I think a lot of Zeppelin lends itself more to night, but I just it's just so like full of energy. I feel like it's a song you listen to during the day and even a good wake up song. Wake up, motherfucker. Ah. <laughs> oh, that could be an alarm. Yeah. Bah, bah. Get this day started. Because <laughs> it's perfect for a day, too. Good times, bad times. Ooh, yeah. Who knows what, yeah, man. What's in That's store. good. I like that. I'm going to go a different tact. I'm going to say it's like a it's like a reunion song, like a high school reunion song. Where you like walk in, yeah, times, you're about to see a bunch of people you hadn't seen in a while. There's a little nostalgia to the song, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit. Or the random times I listen to a classic rock station in my truck and it just comes on. Because again, like I said in the beginning, this isn't the Zeppelin song I'm going to search out. Hey, there's just, there's a long line before it, even though, you know, I like this song. It's a great song. Um, so it's it's like got to be in, I think, one of those two scenarios when I would really be like, Fuck yeah. Good times, bad times. Mm-hmm. Speaking of getting me off, why don't we slide under the influence and talk about the influences of this song? I'll start this off. Now, I got a question. Is this, this is pre-Steppenwolf, right? That's a good question. Hmm. For some reason, this song reminds me of Steppenwolf. Well, they were probably a lot of these guys were around at the same time too. You know yeah, because I mean? like Hendrix was around right now, which was influencing these guys as much as they were probably also influencing him. You know. Yeah, I mean, you know that like the the Yardbirds and Jeff Beck and Cream and Hendrix, like this kind of all comes out of that little wave. Um, I, I for some reason I wanted to say that that this influenced Steppenwolf, but I don't know. But I tell you what, it also reminds me of. I mean, they were prom- They were '68, so okay. Yeah, they were so contemporaries. Mm-hmm. The other thing this reminds me of, and I, you know, this could just be a stretch, but start me up. Yeah. I wonder if if this band had any effect on the Stones, at, you know, in terms of 
of how could it not the riff songs that they were yeah they were doing in the 70s and later and then uh, this song particularly i would say influenced even less than like the album as a whole like fun rock bands like grand funk van halen G- guns and roses and even like into this century like a band like the parquet courts like the guy doesn't sound anything like pl- like uh plant but it's just a fun rock and roll like vibe it's just like we're having fun with rock and roll and we can play Totally. And I, I have yeah. some that are very similar, um, just fun rock and roll songs that really remind me of this. Pinball Wizard, just the bum, bum, Ooh. bum, bum, mm-hmm. bum. Like, and just that, that has a, the, the chord change in that song is really cool. Purple Haze, I mentioned. I mean, it's just kind of E blues. Same with Roadhouse Blues, The Doors. You know, just, just, yeah. just using that E, using that E up well. And uh, one last one. I like it when they use that A. <laughs> I want them to, oof, they like a good use of an and A. It's, it's very, uh, very fun highway to hell. Ah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Power. Uh, <laughs> Jody, you got anything to add on the influence? Well, I mean, you know, these guys were, when you think about who was influencing these guys at the time, I mean, you know, Willie Dixon, uh, Howlin' Wolf, Sonny Boy Williamson, you know, Muddy Waters, um, yeah, all the Blues Cats, and then, of course, you know, uh, James Brown, even, you know, did John Paul Jones talk about, you know, the, the, the soul, you know, that he was super into, and, uh, you know, you can hear that in his playing. And, of course, they're, like you said, they're contemporaries before that with the Stones. I mean, you read about, like, uh, Jimmy Page, uh, you know, I mean, he was playing on, like, doing recording with the kinks you know i think you can hear him on some of the yeah. Kinks stuff you can hear him on like some of the who's stuff actually i was reading this thing where like i think pete townsend was pretty like you know apprehensive of wanting jimmy's part mm-hmm. to be played on like a track that he did with the who <laughs> you know? I, bet, I bet he was I bet he had his panties in a bunch <laughs> oh, oh well well speaking of getting your panties in a bunch why don't we why don't we get them out of the bunch and slide under the covers <laughs> Uh, talk about the covers of the song, <laughs> Neil. Why don't you uh, let us know what, what what covers you heard this well, week? You know what I listen to. I listen to some. Oh God! I listen to some fish. Um, it's Ugh, it's a shame. So bad. Well, there's all the covers are bad. So we'll just start there. <laughs> but it was like with this podcast. I know a lot of times we'll like pick a song. You go to covers on Spotify. It's just Zeppelin, fish, 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 Ace Freely, <laughs> fish, fish. Freely, um, Godsmack. Uh, like the fish. I mean, listen. It was it was a dramatic listen at the beginning. I was like, eh, not too bad, because um, they're because they have high voices. Yeah. Um, and then when it goes into good times, bad times, I was like, oof. Oh, never, it never falls mind. apart. And oh, then Trey starts soloing, and I'm totally back. <laughs> I didn't think he did a, the one I listened to. I was just like, nope. Well, fast forward. Yeah. Back, back to Godsmack. <laughs> yeah, no, right. Oh. <laughs> Jody, did you listen to any? I listened to the Godsmack one, and of course, I'm familiar with the Fish one too. I mean, I've seen them, seen mm-hmm. Fish do it live, and you know, it is what it is. I and I listened to the the Beth Hart version of, oh, uh, of it. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> yeah. Jody. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you did that. I just, I'm sorry. I just had yeesh written down. Yeesh. <laughs> 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 oof. Yeah. Remember, remember the cheesiness I was talking about. Uh, like, yeah. Oof. I, I, when you said it earlier, that's what came to my mind. Too. Did you guys like listen Beth to Hart. the Ace Freely? Yes. It was pretty good. It's very polished. It, like, like I can't hate it. I, it doesn't bring the, anything new to the table. Just a nice. The version. Ace Freely and the Godsmack version are exactly like. 
there's no way to do this song where it's not a cover band version. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can't do this song differently than how it is. Nope. There's just no way. You know, we'll probably sound che- Jody, you're going to do a great job on the cover, but I'm probably going to sound cheese dick because I'm going to try to sing like Robert Plant. If you want a high version that sounds kind of like Trey, I can handle it. <laughs> I, I tried a couple uh, couple rounds at the vocals today. I can hit the notes, yeah. but I don't know if I can. Can you stay there the whole time? That's the... <laughs> no, I, well. That's what happened. The first two lines, I was like, "Ooh, ooh!" And You're then like, get it, Neil. Good times, bad. Like when it drops back down, I, I, it's tough. But Josh, I don't know. Maybe we can. Uh, maybe we can collaborate. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe we'll uh, day in the life this thing. Maybe we'll see. Sweet, <laughs> do it. Uh, well, uh, speaking of a day in the life, uh, why don't we talk about how the shoe fits for good times, bad times? Jody, it's your song. How does the shoe fit? It fits like a pair of Vans. A comfy ah, pair, a like pair of Vans. Sweet. Like it just also because the, those were the shoes I was wearing when I was learning how to play the song. So Perfect. Are, are we going slip-ons or are we going uh, lace? Lace. Oh, yeah, lace. Okay, lace. All right. Are we going high top or low? top. Low? Old, old school. Okay. Yep. Mm. All right. Old school. Um, I'm going to go. It fits like, I mean, it fits like a comfortable loafer. Like with no socks, I because like I'm leisurely, like leisurely and ready for a bad night's turn good or a good night's turn bad. But either way, my feet will be comfortable, and you know I can move on leisurely and and with a youthful uh, ambivalence. Yeah, as Robert Plant sounds like he's doing. You still don't seem uh, to care. In this song, still don't seem to care. Um. Brown-eyed man, whatever. <laughs> he's got nothing on these blues. <laughs> <laughs> The shoe doesn't fit for me, but that is not a knock uh, oh, because it sounds it, like one. It, uh, they're, they're way too big. It's like a little kid trying on his dad's shoes, wondering what it means to be a man. Oh, <laughs> Drop that bravo, <laughs> bravo, my friend, bravo. Well, uh, on that note, Mr. Jody Moser at Jody Motor Moser Music, that is M-O-S-S-E-R, not Z. It has been a pleasure to have you here, man, and can't wait to have you back at some point. Oh, I look forward to it. It's been a great time, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been a pleasure and been a pleasure having you help with uh, all the covers. It's been awesome letting you take some solos, and I couldn't believe um, what you've done so far on this cover. It's really impressive. Nice work. Yeah, You're you're taking some sweat off of Neil's brow. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're giving him more good times than bad times, and uh, and on that note, our cover— of Led Zeppelin's Good Times, Bad Times.
The cover you just heard was performed by Jody Moser, Neil Marsh, and Josh Bond. Thanks for listening to Pod Gave Rock and Roll to you. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and rate on Apple, iTunes, and Spotify, or wherever you listen. If you'd like to communicate with us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram under the handle at Pod Gave Rock. Next week is Neil's week, and we will be discussing the cars. Just what I needed. Can't wait! <laughs>